All right. Welcome, Westbridge. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, in case you're confused, I am not Ryan. I did not just lead worship. Uh, I'm my own person. Similar hair, similar beard. Maybe, maybe Jeremiah has a type. I noticed Chandler's hair is getting longer as well. I don't know. Um, it's great to be here. I want to thank um, Jeremiah and Cherry for not only their friendship, but also the partnership in the critical work that we do. And um, I, I love being, I love coming any time that we're invited to, um, to Westbridge, but this series, I've kind of loved from the beginning, this summer mashup series. I appreciated Jeremiah taking us all back um, down a little bit of our uh, maybe memory lane if you're a child of the 80s or 90s, and he talked about this mixtape, this cassette tape where you hit play and record, and you record the greatest hits, and I started thinking about kind of the progression of what that looks like. It went from cassettes to then CDs, and I don't know if any of you remember burning CDs as well. It seemed like a fast process, but the reality is it was only as fast as your laptop was, right? So, like, you put all the songs in, and then you hit burn, and at least my laptop took like 30 or 40 minutes to burn a really good mixtape. Uh, I found this out. My wife and I decided when we got married 20 years ago that we were going to make a mix CD for all of our guests at the wedding. And so uh, you'll see here is a, is a, is a CD. And we, we had a lot of different folks, everything from U2 and Lauren Hill down to Stevie Wonder, Dave Matthews, a little bit of... Was a, we, we argued a lot about that. Um, I'll let you decide which of us liked Celine Dion. Um, rounding, rounding it down with Rent and uh, Nora Jones. So we're complicated, right? Uh, but I didn't, I didn't come here to peddle my CD for a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm sure we broke a few intellectual property or copyright laws, but I think that there is a statute of limitation in 20 years we should be good. Um, I'm here to say thanks. At least one, that's one of the main reasons. Uh, this community, this movement, this worshiping group of people have been so incredibly important to the work that we do in some of the most difficult areas on the planet. Um, you all have come alongside for years, but just in the last three years, the way that this community has come around the work that we have done, and whether you've slapped on spandex or you've been a volunteer or you've donated, you've been a part of something remarkable. In fact, Westbridge literally is the most engaged church that we have in the hundreds of churches that we have. And one of the ways that we engage people is through miles-based things. And so you had a couple of things going on, um, Run for Her and Fathers for the Fatherless. Over the last three years, You've done five different events, and in those five events, you've had 305 participants. That means either doing this trail run, which um, 16-mile trail run for women to raise money for women empowerment in some of the areas we serve, or groups of men that are currently training right now for a 100-mile ride. And of those 305 participants on those events, you logged over 11,000 miles. Just from this church, 11,000 miles, that is a lot of miles. But I think one of the more interesting things is you didn't just log miles or volunteer for these events, but you engaged other people. Over 3,000 people were engaged in donating. And why that's crazy is because Westbridge is not a church of 3,000 people. It means that your reach is huge. It means that you reached out to your community, to your family members, and that people maybe who are currently not or are far from Christ are still 
part of helping us rescue girls and feeding the hungry and caring for the fatherless and doing the very things that Christ's heart invites us to do. And you are a part of introducing other people to that good work. And all of those people, in the last three years, you have raised over $200,000. That is huge. That is huge for one church to be over $200,000. So when I say thank you, I mean sincerely thank you. Those dollars represent girls seven, eight, and nine being rescued from trafficking. It, it represents young boys and girls who have lost their parents to crisis, to conflict, and to civil war, having food and having care. It represents education and training. And that's what you did. So when we watch a, a video like we showed, those stories impact. The, sh- the stories that we're going to share, some of the people that we're going to talk about, these are things that you all are a part of. This is the kind of transformative work that we get to be a part of. There is a, a scene at the end of that video where a guy comes up out of the water. Historically, that has been water baptism, a way to, to represent the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jeremiah talked earlier um, about how you're going to be doing water baptism in one of the lakes around here. Well, this is happening all around the world, and at the end of that video is this this man that comes up and it's so meaningful to me because I know in these areas people sometimes are risking their lives and even their livelihood simply to follow Christ. But, but this story, this invitation is so compelling. This radical revolutionary message that all are loved and can be loved is so compelling that they give it all up. They risk everything just to follow this unruly rabbi on the side of a mountain who has been inviting people across time and space, whether it's Nepal and Thailand and Myanmar or St. Michael and Elk River in North Minneapolis. And after the guy comes up out of the water, there's a phoenix that comes up. And I know some of you, you see the round glasses and you hear me talk about the phoenix, you think I'm going to talk about Harry Potter. I'm not. The phoenix has been our symbol from the beginning, and we stole that from the early church, actually. The early church, many of the church mothers and fathers chose the phoenix as a symbol of what it meant to be a Christ follower, right alongside of the symbol of the cross. Because a phoenix flies around for 500 years, beautiful and majestic, falls to earth, dies in a ball of flames, but then rises up out of the pile of ashes stronger than ever before, and this is First and foremost, a picture of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but it's also our story. However you feel this morning, this is our shared story. You might have come in here, you may have been drugged in here, you may feel like the pile of ashes, but the truth is that you are a phoenix that can rise out of it. You may feel like your life is mundane or repetitive or doesn't have meaning, but I'm here to tell you, that this good, good book invites us into a life that is full and free and beautiful and you are not done yet. And I see this, I see the courage and the beauty of this kind of transformation in the lives of our international partners, like Cuckoo. So Cuckoo serves in a part of the world where it's the longest ongoing civil war and conflict in the world. And this civil war has created a crisis of food and of safety. In fact, it's become illegal to help some of the ethnic minorities. And Cuckoo has given her life to deliver food that are in refugee villages, in IDP, that's internally displaced camps. She even goes to AIDS villages 
and leper colonies. Now, the work she's doing is incredibly dangerous. As I've said, it's illegal to help ethnic minorities. And this year, ventures, partners, we lost three people that were killed in this country simply for sharing a meal and sharing the good news. So when we reached out to Cuckoo and said, your life is in danger, maybe we should suspend the feeding program, she shot back an email that I have printed up and put in my Bible. I keep it on my phone and I look at it and she said, I'll never give up on my people, not for the safety of me or my family. Why would I ever turn my back on them? Shouldn't we help more when people are in need? And I'm so inspired by that story at great personal risk to herself. She continues to move out into these villages and into these places, these marginalized people, and delivering meals to young boys and girls who have lost their parents, meals that Fathers for the Fatherless have funded. She's putting herself on the line, and it inspires me. She's like a phoenix that rises up out of the pile of ashes of violence in her country. Or like Me Too. Me Too is in another country where we serve, and in this country, um, because she was born as a female into a certain ethnic minority and she's poor, she's told that she must have done something wrong in her last life. She's told that because she's a female, because she's poor, she's worth nothing. And then one of our partners told her about God. Said there's a God that's not mad at you, that loves you. That you are not the tail, you're the head, that you are made in the beautiful image of God, the Imago Dei, and you are a daughter of the King. And me too thought this story was so beautiful that God's not mad at her, that she started telling people in her village about Jesus. And she went to one of our training centers and she's like, I wanna become a pastor. At 17, she leaves our pastor training school to go start a church in her village. But the village witch doctor is mad at her because he feels like she's threatening his influence. He tells her, don't share about this God or I'll put you in jail. Well, me too, at 17, keep sharing about God. And the witch doctor puts her in jail, a five by five by five wooden box where no light can go through. Eaten by bugs, beaten, no contact with people except that they give her a ball of rice once a day. And yet after 30 days, the witch doctor lets her out because he's afraid that the jailers who are watching over her will start following this God, which is similar to a story I read in a book once time. And so she gets out and she starts heading back to the village and the witch doctor says, if you share about this God, I will kill you. And she turned around and she looked at him and she said, I will share about God or I will die. There's a church in that village, about 30 families, and Me Too is now a 19-year-old pastor in that community and nobody's touched her. Me Too is like a phoenix that rises up courageously. This young woman that has the courage to rise out of the ashes of the difficult situation in her life, transformed and being part of the transformation of other people, or Sushila, in a third country where we serve. Sushila was born into poverty and so her parents as a child bride. And then her husband that she was sold to trafficked her, beat her, electrocuted her, locked her in a bathroom. Four days, all she had to drink was toilet water. 
Somehow, Sushila found the courage to escape, and she found safety with one of our partners. And she didn't just stand at the point of safety, but she said, I'm going to give my freedom to help other people. And Sushila has given her life. She, she works at the border as a watcher between Nepal and India, and she looks for young girls, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, the border alone being trafficked and she says that's not going to happen on my watch earlier this year she was given an award because she took down the largest trafficking ring in her area the very trafficking ring that trafficked her she took down so Sheila is like a phoenix not only did she experience freedom but she's given her life for other people to experience their freedom this is why it's so meaningful run for her these women in this community that are running, you who support them, because you're part of this story, you're part of this idea of a phoenix rising up stronger than ever. You're part of the idea that no matter where you are at, we can rise up. And it's not just stories from our international partners, but those reflect stories throughout these collection of 66 books. There's a book in the second half of this. It's a letter, it's pretty small. We can pass over it pretty quickly. Maybe some of you didn't even know it was a letter or a book in the Bible. Maybe you'd never heard of it or heard it spoke on. But across history, this book has been scrutinized. This letter has been scandalized. This letter has been canceled. This letter has been ripped out. And on the off chance that Jeremiah never invites me back, I thought, why don't we take a peek at a scandalous text this morning as we continue in this summer mashup? It's the letter of Philemon, a letter from Paul to the, name, the book's namesake, Philemon. And it's about slavery, and it's about relationships, and it's about the transformational work of the gospel. In Philemon, starting with verse 4, this is Paul writing to him, and he says, every time your name comes up in my prayers, I say, oh, thank you, God. I keep hearing of the love and the faith that you have for your master Jesus, which brings over to other believers. And I keep praying that this faith that we hold in common keeps showing up in the good things that we do and that the people recognize Christ in all of it. Friend, you have no idea how good your love makes me feel, doubly so when I see your hospitality to fellow believers. In line with all of this, I have a favor to ask of you. As Christ's ambassador and now a prisoner for him, I wouldn't hesitate to command this if I thought it was necessary, but I'd rather make it a personal request. Verse 10, while here in jail, I fathered a child, so to speak. And here he is carrying this letter. His name's Onesimus. He was useless to you before. Now he's useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, but it feels like I'm cutting off my right arm in doing so. I wanted in the worst way to keep him here as your stand-in to help me out while I'm in jail for the message. But I didn't want to do anything behind your back and make you feel like you had to do a good deed that you hadn't willingly agreed to. Maybe it's all for the best that you lost him for a while. You're getting him back now for good. And no mere slave this time, but a true Christian brother. That's what he was to me, and he'll be even more than that to you. God, for as many times as I've read this letter, this book, I ask that your word would not only be anointed, but it would speak the right things to the right people in the right way. Your word for your people, amen. So it's a letter. 
from Paul to Philemon. Paul's incarcerated. He was this radical zealot that used to kill Christians, became a Christ follower, and now is so passionate that he's in jail, incarcerated, simply for sharing this good news. Philemon was a business person, still is, but now he's opened his home. He's kind of hosting this new gathering of Christ followers, these, these radicals, these revolutionaries. They probably all had long hair and a beard, maybe a denim shirt, I'm not sure. Um, but they're this, this group, this radical revolutionary group of people, and Philemon is hosting them. And then we have a third person, and the third person's Onesimus. And Onesimus meets Paul while Paul's incarcerated, but Onesimus is, was the slave of Philemon. Now, Philemon has every legal permission to do this. Slavery is um, complicated. Across time, across scripture, there are different kinds. We know uh, June and July, we consider maybe some of our nation's history. Juneteenth, we celebrate as America's second Independence Day, a day where we celebrate that the last enslaved Africans found out that they were free. That kind of slavery is the economic engine that radically dehumanizes an entire race. This kind of slavery was probably a little bit different from what we know, more like indentured servitude. So someone would come into a lot of debt. I know none of you are like that, credit cards. Um, but people come, oh, look. Okay, so, uh, People come into a lot of debt and you could then go to the person that you are in debt to and you can say, hey, I will work this off. I will be your slave and would work it off theoretically until everything was paid off and then, and then they would be free. Now, in this realm, there would theoretically be a start and a stopping point. Legally right, still very problematic. And this is what Paul's talking about. Paul is saying, hey, so here's the deal. You have this legal right to do this but what if you freed Onesimus? What if the same transformation that you experienced, you would continue that transformation and you would free Onesimus? Now, across history, this is problematic to slave owners. So maybe you can understand at the birth of our nation, um, when missionaries would come over in the 19th century to the Caribbean and they would want to convert enslaved Africans, the Africans would be so moved as most people are when they hear the good, good gospel, the good news that God's not mad at them and loves them. And then as they learned more about the different parts of the scripture, they would say, like in Philemon, well, can't we be free? But to slave owners, to missionaries, to people who benefited from the existing system, this was problematic. It was uncomfortable. They didn't want to change what was comfortable for them. And so what they would do is they started looking at the parts of scripture they didn't like and they literally ripped it out. They literally just started going, I don't like that one. That one's problematic. And it became a bit of an ongoing process. You see this book, right, that we celebrate, it's called the Protestant Bible, 66 books. A Catholic Bible has 73. Um, an Eastern Orthodox has about 78. But the missionaries and the plantation owners came up with a different Bible. It's called the Slave Bible. In this Bible, there's only two left in the world, only has 14 books. And that's what happens when we just rip out the pages that we don't like, that are inconvenient, that go against our worldview and don't stop and go, what does this have to say to me? 
But even with all of that, Philemon is not a book primarily about slavery or anti-trafficking or jumping on a bike to fight trafficking or refugee crisis or running. It's not about justice or social justice first. It's not about conflict resolution. Philemon, like every other one of these 66 books, points to the transformation of the gospel. Just like our partners that understand that their transformation, the transformative work of the gospel, not only speaks to them, but it speaks to other people, Philemon encourages through these three characters, what does it look like to keep being transformed? Paul, the author, talks about transformation in a lot of his letters. And he's usually talking about transformation in one of two camps. The first transformation is this idea of salvation. And we hear it transformed from hell to heaven, from unsaved to saved, from lost to found, from no hope to hope, from dark to light. This powerful transformation that only happens through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But he also, often in his letters, talks about this other kind of transformation, this ongoing transformation. In Greek, it's called morphuo. It's this ongoing, it means movement, or change, or growth or discipleship. And Paul often in his language is encouraging the recipients of the letters, hey, don't just stop with salvation. Keep transformed. As we're in this series and in this season, summer is a time where it's common for us to just chill, sit back, go to the lake house, go to the beach, sit in the pool. Maybe if you're like me, you can only afford one of those blow up ones and you it's, I don't know. But it's common to chill. And maybe it's all too common for us in our spiritual journeys just to chill. And this morning, in the same way that our partners heard it, please hear this. God is not mad at you, but he's inviting you to continually be transformed. And so let's look at three ways from this letter that we can keep being transformed. And the first one is we can be transformed through deeper relationships. And so if we go back to the text, in verse 6, it's kind of the foundation to everything that Paul is saying in this letter. And here's what it says. He's like, and I keep praying that this faith that we hold showing up in the good things that we do and that people recognize Christ in all of it. So he's like, hey, we hold some stuff in common and the things we do, it should all point to Christ. At his anchor, he's saying that these deep relationships matter. This concept that he's talking about is koinonia. And koinonia in the Second Testament is best probably translated as Christian friendship, Christian assembly, something like that, like a, a Christian gathering, which is good, but might not be the depth of who Paul is and how he talks. He's not just like, let's get together and have a potluck. Nothing wrong with getting together and having a potluck. But he's like, this kind of relationship that I'm talking about is anchored in this depth of who Christ is. In Philippians, he talks about this kind of koinonia in Philippians 3.10. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him in the power of the resurrection, and I want to share in the suffering. And that share is I want to koinonia in the suffering. What he's saying in the context of deep relationship, hey, Philemon, you and I, we're anchored by something deeper than just knowing one another, than just being neighbors, than just living next to one another. We're anchored by more than just going to each other's kids' birthdays, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but he's setting this up going, this thing is so big and so beautiful and so transformational across time and space, and this is what anchors us together. And so this thing between us, hopefully, 
people see it and they see Christ in this. And this is the foundation. He's going, Philemon, let's, let's do more. Have you ever had one of those times where your spouse says, hey, we should have a conversation? Or a boss says, hey, could you come into my office? I'd like to have a talk. Or maybe you've had a DTR, define the relationship talk. It's those kinds of talks that go past where we are right now and into something deeper. And, and Paul's having that kind of a conversation with Philemon. He's not mad at him. He's going, Philemon, you are doing some good stuff. You're a Christ follower. You're wealthy. You're opening your home by all accounts. He's probably sharing his food. You're doing all of this. But he says, but mate, what if there's more? We've got Onesimus over here, and if you will consider something, you could be a part of some radical transformation in his life if you would consider what it looks like for you to keep being changed. The gospel's always pulling more out of us. Now, if we're not careful, and I love this church, I, I, I actually love, I put, brought this up here because I love that it, it says, hey, we want you to relax, no pressure, have fun. I love that because the gospel is not about, hey, you really stink, suck it up, buttercup, let's do something better for the kingdom. I don't think God talks like that. But it is an invitation that your deepest meaning will be found as we align ourselves with the ongoing work of the kingdom that transforms us. And if we continue to be transformed, then we get to participate in the transformation of others. And this is what Paul's inviting him to. I wonder if that's why small groups and even friendships sometimes peter out a bit because we stop at what each other's kids' names are, what birthdays are, and how work's going. And we forget that in deep Christian relationship, we are founded in this in this idea of the power of the resurrection and the suffering of all that Christ went through. I think of those who served in the military and maybe in the midst of conflict, they were in something called a foxhole. If you've ever heard that phrase, being in the foxhole, there's something about being with your brothers and sisters in deep crisis, in deep meaning, they're there and they're there to, in our country, to defend the pursuit of liberty, justice, and the pursuit of happiness, and they're there. But there is something, those people never disentangle. They are so deeply connected because of the depth of what they were going through. And this is similar to Paul is saying to Philemon, we are part of something deep and meaningful and good. Even if you dragged yourself in here or someone dragged you, you are part of something deep, meaningful, and good. So what does it look like for you to continue to go deeper in your relationships? One of the reasons why I love Fathers for the Fatherless and Run for Her is because even though on those event days they tally over 11,000 miles, the training leading up to that, just the people in this community logged over 135 to 150,000 miles. And these are miles where they're having conversations with one another, opportunities to ask what God's doing in your life, how's your marriage, how's your kids, what are your greatest fears, what are your greatest hopes? What does it look like for you to identify a relationship where you can grow deeper? What is a relationship that calls out something more in you? The gospel is always calling out more, always inviting us to be a part of deep transformation. And then in the context of that transformation, that foundational understanding of relationship, the gospel always also transforms us through new identities. 
And if the first one's foundational, the second one is, for me, epic. It's completely epic because Onesimus gets to become free. This new identity that he cannot do by himself. Every enslaved person wants to be free, and I can see him going, I just want to be free. I have a four-year-old son, Moses. If you've ever met him, he is crazy intense, and he just, he runs around. Currently, he has a one-armed black female Barbie, and he just runs around, and he goes, ah, and he just screams and sings, let it go, let it go. He's got some Disney things going on, um, but, but the point is, sometimes in our spiritual journey, I think we're just like, I just want, I just want, I just want, but there are things that we want that we can't have without the help of other people. Identities that we forget or we can't achieve without others. And Onesimus couldn't achieve his freedom without Philemon. I was watching um, The Chosen last week. I know I'm late to the game. Don't judge, don't judge okay? I'm only on. And in this episode, uh, Matthew and Philip are having a conversation. And Matthew is cast as somebody on the spectrum. And he is talking about what it feels like to... He feels like an outcast. He draws a circle and he says, everybody's in the circle and I'm over here. And I'm telling you, that breaks my heart. Whether we're talking international outcasts or people right in our community, people that feel on the outside, man, it breaks my heart. And Philip, Philip says, you're always talking about was. You're always talking about how you were treated, how you did feel. He's like, the rabbi has called you, and once the rabbi calls you, it's only is, only am. It's a little bit Yoda, always was, only am. You know, uh, the, uh, the idea is that sometimes we are stuck in how we used to perceive ourselves. You don't have to be angry, Dad. You don't have to be angry, Mom. You don't have to be a depressed person. You don't have to be an isolated person. And, and yes, there are... There might be a journey towards getting out of those things, but most of us need other people along with us to call out that new identity. I was listening to the Bethel song, um, No Longer Slave. Says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And it says, we're surrounded by songs of deliverance. And I, and I think about that's what Westbridge is, a group of people that are surrounded. We all have stories of we used to be this and now we're this, and, and we get to be a part of calling that out in other people, new identities, sometimes before we even see it. I appreciate my long friendship with Jeremiah and Eli, and I love, um, I knew Eli through a lot of seasons, through college student, through dating, through marriage, um, through being a prolific gutter guy. If you need any help with your gutters, don't ask him, he's hung that up. But I, but I love, I, I had a, a coffee with him once, and he said, my pastor, Jeremiah, asked me to consider being a pastor. Uh, questionable wisdom on Jeremiah's part. Uh, but, I, but what I do love is he saw something in him and he called it out. And you don't have to worry. First of all, Eli had a choice. And secondly, Jeremiah doesn't just handpick and go, you're going to be a pastor and you're going to be a pastor and you're going to be a pastor. But the point is practicing calling out new identities. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be addicted. You don't have to live without meaning. You're a child of God. One of the most beautiful things is because Philemon chose to free Onesimus, Onesimus doesn't only become a freed person, he becomes the Bishop of Byzantine. And that Bishop of Byzantine has been sainted in almost every denominational movement that has saints across time and space. And that doesn't happen without Paul talking to Philemon and Philemon 
taking a risk even at which brings us to our third gospel transforms through deep meaning meaningful relationships and through new identities and through disadvantage because make no mistake what Philemon did disadvantaged himself now, if you're like me or every other human on the planet you don't like disadvantage I don't like disadvantage I want to win I want to be first you guys have already decided if you like me or not so I'm just gonna full disclosure here I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> By the way, that's the largest emotional outburst y'all had this morning. <laughs> I can see the jumbotron from my parents' backyard. So when the Packers play the Vikings, over the last decade, I want Delvin Cook hurt. I don't want to be at equal strength. I just want to win. I want the advantage. I know it's a little soon with what's going on with your club. Let's get away from football. How about, um, you drove here, right? And you're on the road and you're like, if I could just zigzag if you're on the highway, if I could get in front of that person, I could have the better lane, the faster lane I could go. We, we, we want advantage. In my house, if I cut a cookie in half, I got two girls, seven and eight, that will run and they want the bigger cookie. Paul writes to Philemon and says, what if you don't take the bigger cookie this time? What if you willingly disadvantage yourself so that somebody else can thrive. There's a word in scripture, peace, shalom in the First Testament, Iranian in the Second Testament that talks about interconnected thriving of all people. Our transformation, our deeper transformation happens sometimes when we willingly take a smaller piece so that other people can be sainted as the Bishop of Byzantine. I love I love the work we do with our international partners because I feel like they get this over and over, willingly disadvantaging themselves, willingly stepping in and, and showing this beautiful picture of what it means to be a community of Christ followers. I think it was about three weeks ago, I got this photo of a group of women that heard about another group of women who didn't have food. And so these women literally put 70 to 90 pounds. These are bags of rice. 70 to 90 pounds, and they will walk three to four hours straight up a mountain to get another group of women food. Now, they're not on the Eli Berkman CrossFit plan. They're just throwing that on there to do what they feel called. And there is something, because when this picture came up, some of you went, wow, I saw your mouth, wow, I saw your eyes go open. There is something inside of us that know that the most beautiful stories are found when we willingly disadvantage, when we willingly give a little bit up because we are sharing in the story after story of this, of Moses in Exodus choosing to give up the palace to be a part of freeing the Israelites, of Esther risking everything of her royalty to help her Jewish people not be exterminated, of Philemon, giving up his status, and he did give up his status. This kind of status quo, because he wasn't doing anything wrong. Have you ever taken a step to do something a little bit more in your faith, and other people, good Christians, kind of go, mm, really? You're going to ride that bike? You're going to do that run? Oh, you're doing that again? Oh, you're giving up that show because it does this kind of thing? You know what I mean? Like, when we hear and choose to take steps of transformation, it's not always easy. And yet, you saw that picture and you're like, that looks like the gospel. That looks beautiful. 
Last time I was here, I shared the story of Hannah. Hannah um, came to one of our safe houses. Her sister was trafficked. Uh, Once her sister was rescued, it was estimated that she was abused 20,000 times. Hannah found safety and um, graduated from college in Nepal through our program. She became a Christ follower. She came to the U.S. She shared her story multiple times. It moved people. Two different people wrote separate books about her. She was offered two different full-ride scholarships. One family offered for her to live in their beachside multi-million dollar mansion, very similar to my house in North Minneapolis. Um, (laughs) And who's going to be mad at a girl who went through that kind of trauma and was elevated? It's a great story, elevated to this place of safety and beauty. And then the global pandemic hit, and when it hit, Hannah felt like she was supposed to go back to the girls in her country. And so she left the million-dollar estate, and she went and rented an apartment of 400 square feet and let 10 other women live with her. She started her own movement, her own organization called Her, where she was focusing on supporting vulnerable women. She started feminine health and hygiene trainings uh, this last year, trained over 45,000 young girls in how God made their body. Transformational. She looked at another group of girls that were about to graduate from high school, college, but would have to go back to really dangerous situations. So she raised enough money for all 27 of them to have an education endowment. She raised money so that we just um, opened two more buildings for this new program where every girl that goes through the first half of the education has a place to go so that they can be trained in any of their vocational endeavors, whether they want to be a barista or fashion or banker or nurse, it's because Hannah left the mansion and went to help her sisters. Oh yeah, when she's not doing that, this last year alone, she got on a plane multiple times and rescued 10 girls on her own, literally going into the brothel and physically fought with some of the pimps. At one point, she had multiple people trying to beat her as she grabs a girl and takes her out of the brothel, only to get out there and find out that the men had ripped all of her clothes off, and she said, I don't care, I won't give up until I rescue another one. And these are the stories that you're a part of. This is why I'm so moved by this community and your ability to jump in and things like Fathers for the Fatherless or Run for Her when, when you all are sacrificing, when you all are disadvantaging yourself. Because it does happen. I, there's a story, I think it's um, Tanya Pfeiffer. She, she ran the 16-mile run for her, but along the way, she had back injury and eye injury, and two days before the race, she had vertigo. And if you've ever had vertigo, that is crazy difficult. And yet she said, through her community and the reason for these young women, she finished the entire race. There is something that inside of us, if you are honest, we are moved by stories of people who disadvantage themselves for other people. We're moved by the international partners who give it all up so that others can hear the hope of the gospel. And yet, this morning, this is our invitation as well. However you came in, you are a phoenix. You can rise up out of your ashes. 
you are like me, maybe stalled, and you need to remind yourself that we are continually being transformed, that we can be transformed through deeper relationship. Maybe you would consider who in your life is those people that call out the best in you and you would spend time with them. If you are training for Fathers for the Fatherless, as you ride, maybe you have a deeper conversation. Spouses, and I am calling myself on the carpet on this. Husbands, stop. Ask your wife, hey, what did you think about the message on Philemon? How are we doing as a couple? What can we do as a family? What does it look like to step into those conversations? What does it look like to disadvantage ourselves? Parents, we know what it looks like to disadvantage ourselves for our kids. I was up at five this morning because my advantage sleep because of my young, beautiful Moses. But we, we naturally know what it's like, but outside of that season, what does it look like for us so that we can continually be transformed? We can be a community of people that are transformed. My wife loves gospel music. Not Maverick City music, although we love Maverick City music, but that's like your entry-level gospel music. I'm talking about Detroit gospel music, 17 minutes, the singer's yelling at you, they're taking you to the depths, to the heights, they're going to give you the whole gospel every song. That's the kind of gospel my wife likes. And we were listening to this song recently on the radio, and it said, this is our Exodus song. And I love that story, that idea, our Exodus song. Our moments where we get to be about deliverance. We get to be about transformation. So as Pastor Amanda comes out and we consider this letter that we bumped into, Philemon, the question is, what will we do with it? Will you just go, that was nice. You capped on Eli a little bit. You told some good stories. Or will we go, no, the word of God for the people of God. What does it mean for me to be in deeper relationship? What does it mean for me to disadvantage myself? Because my fear is if we, if we read a text like this and don't do anything with it, aren't we a little bit like the missionaries that just found it easier? The plantation owners? That's problematic part of scripture. It's inconvenient. Don't worry, that wasn't the real Bible. I printed it out. <laughs> Y'all about canceled me right there. <laughs> The gospel is a gospel of freedom for every person and invites us to continue to be transformed. And that transformation happens in the context of relationships and identity and disadvantage. God of the universe, I thank you for this community of faith, this movement of Christ followers. I thank you for the men and women who do Fathers for the Fatherless, who do run for her as an expression, as an example, but I'm thankful for every person in this room. And I ask that your spirit would invite them, would remind them that they're fearfully and wonderfully made in your image, in your Imago Dei. I pray that they would have the courage to continue to step towards the kind of life-freeing transformation both for themselves and for other people for your kingdom. Amen.